Greetings and Merry Christmas and welcome to the special Christmas show of Holy Crap It's Sports. There's no sports today. We're just going to talk a few Christmas stuff. So if you're looking for sports, this is the wrong place to be. This is kind of like waiting to see the Hawaii Bowl and have the Hawaiian team decide we're a bunch of pussies and we're not going to show. Oh, I shouldn't say it. it's Christmas. It's a Christmas show. But anyway, poor Memphis. They fly all the way to, wait a minute, they're flying all the way to Hawaii, having a good time at Christmas. I, that's not a bad trip. It just it just kills me. Memphis can fly all the way to Hawaii for the bowl, but the Hawaiian team can't get on a bus and walk down the street, you know, and, and go to their own home stadium. But anyway, let's not get into that. We're going to do a little Christmas stuff today, traditions where Santa Claus comes from, little traditions around the world, just crazy, silly stuff because it is the Yuletide and it's the uh, Christmas. I'm doing this on Christmas Eve. I would have done this earlier. But the, uh, my batteries died on my trackpad, and it only took me three hours to figure out it was the batteries had died. And I'm here cursing Apple and all that. But anyway, uh, main thing to talk about today is, you know, uh, the traditions and Santa Claus and just a few little silly things and some jokes at the end. And uh, we'll start off with breaking news from yesterday. And uh, Jeff Hollinger, who does the... Uh, News on 11alive.com has done so many things in Atlanta for decades, decades, decades. Broke some really sad news yesterday. I wish, and I told him, I wrote him, I said, why didn't you tell me this a week ago so I could go down there? Uh, but I only saw this yesterday, Thursday. Uh, Rhodes Bakery down at Cheshire Bridge Road, an Atlanta icon, and we're slowly losing all of them. Uh, is closing after 68 years in that building. If you know, if you're coming down Piedmont and you turn uh, right on the Cheshire Bridge, it's like a block down the road on the right, and it's an older building. And uh, I didn't know it was in another building before it was there, but this was the go-to place to for birthday cakes and so many other cookies and stuff like that, especially around Christmas. I can't tell you my birthday cakes. One of my favorite memories is getting a huge birthday cake from there. And I knew it was all going to be for me because uh, <laughs> I just wanted a birthday cake for me. I got the super large one. I brought it home and I put it on the kitchen table and I went to work. And I came back and that time I had one dog named Red. Some of you may have seen him over the years. And I came home and he usually greeted me at the door because he roamed around the house. I watched TV, you know, played cards, whatever he did while I wasn't there. And I got to the door, I the door and there's no Red. I go, Red? And immediately you start thinking, oh my God, something bad has happened. Someone's broke in. He's gotten out. So he's been hurt. He's not feel Something's going on. And I call him, nothing. I call him again and nothing. And I walk out into the kitchen and I look into the dining room and it looks like I've been burgled. Someone has broken into my house and there's just crap everywhere. They, it's just like they took, they ransacked the dining room looking for something. And I'm like, oh no. And then I realize the cake is gone. And I'm thinking, someone didn't break into my house just to get the birthday cake, right? And uh, turns out it was on the floor, and there was only one piece left. And it had basically, a certain dog of mine had managed for the first time in his life, gotten on the chair and on top of the dining room table, started eating the cake through the box, pushed the box all over, knocking everything off the table, pushed it onto the floor, and then scooted it around the living room, eating it. An entire huge birthday cake. So I walk down the hallway. I'm calling him. He's still not coming. And I get to the bedroom, and I look in. And he's literally laying up on the bed, on his back, up against the pillows, just like you would if you were sick. Laying up against the pillows, and his belly is distended. I mean, it's, it's huge, as you can imagine, after eating a whole cake. And he was about 40 pounds, so he was a medium-sized dog. And he's looking at me with the saddest eyes because he knows he did wrong, but he's also not feeling well. And I just looked at him, and I felt so bad for him because you could tell he was in distress. So I basically, I picked him up off the bed, and I carried him to the back door, and I opened the door, and I said, go do what you need to do. And he went out there, and I tell you, for the next three days, he left because I had purple, green, and, and red flowers on it. I mean, I got the super big birthday cake. And he left little purple spots around the backyard for three days afterwards. It was disgusting, but funny at the same time. And he felt so bad. And I was sitting thinking, I, the one time I go out and get me a birthday cake that only I could eat, I don't get a bite of it. Not a bite. But anyway, that's one of my Rhodes Bakery stories. But anyway, Rhodes Bakery is closing. 
the brothers, Tommy and George, are in their 70s. Uh, let's see. Um, and, of course, people's changing. The, the bakery wasn't making as much money as it used to because people don't eat bakery products as much as they used to. Uh, the Rhodes Bakery started in 1934. Before that, they were at the corner of Piedmont Road and Monroe. That's Smith's Old Bar. How cool is that? Across from Ansley Mall, the place with absolutely no parking. But uh, anyway, I didn't know they were at the Ansley Mall. If you're in a long time Atlantan, Magdalene Rhodes uh, began the business selling baked goods out of her house during the Great Depression of 1930. How old are the fruitcake pans used at Rhodes Bakery? Well, President F.D. Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was at Warm Springs, Georgia, playing with his dog Fala when they first held cake batter, those fruitcake. The recipes are more than 100 years old. I mean, it's like going into a Christmas time machine, um, uh, Jeff writes. Beautiful evergreen tree cookies, snowmen with ornate icing, gingerbread men with sugar buttons, caramel, caramel, whatever you like to pronounce it, and coconut cakes. Intoxicating sugary aromas wafted through the premises. Holiday memories inside Rhodes Bakery with every confection. The cheese straws, which I find absolutely disgusting, but my family loves them. As much a part of Southern culture as ham, collard greens, Coca-Cola, and college football. And uh, Rhodes Bakery was played a role in Jeff's life. He said he used to always get his caramel cakes there for birthdays and other stuff, including new broadcast contracts. <laughs> Tommy and George Rhodes will continue to operate their Roswell store, I believe up there off... Uh, I can't remember if it's off Mount Vernon or someplace up there. I forget the name. I've, it's somewhere. You can look up pretty easily there. Uh, it's not the same as the downtown. When I used to go down, just shoot down 400 to go to Cheshire Bridge. And it was always fun driving down Cheshire Bridge because you never knew what new weird thing was there and what weird thing was walking down the sidewalk. Uh, anyway, as Jeff wrote, Atlanta changes, Petty Fours, today, Christmas Eve, is their final day at Cheshire Bridge. And I thought I was going to go down there, and he said, there's huge lines. There's, there's just a big crowd. And I'm thinking, I'll just keep the memory of the last time I was in there and all this time. So, I, you know, it'd be kind of sad to go there for the last time. So I'll just act like it's always open. And I can just go up to uh, – there's a Rhodes Bakery out in Snellville, too, by the way, which is not associated. It's just ironically the same name. And they do a great job with birthday cakes and everything else, too. Uh, they're out there in Snellville. Uh, but right right there, right off the main drag. But uh, I had a soft spot for the Cheshire Bridge store, and so it's up there. So that's a little Christmas tradition. That is gone now, and it's kind of a shame, but I thought I'd share that with you. Meanwhile, here's the ancient origins of Santa Claus, in case you wanted to know where he came from. About 25 years ago, when I was working at WGST, uh, AP used to put out a thing every year about certain traditions around the world of uh, Christmas. And it just fascinated me. I've always been fascinated by folklore and what people believe in our traditions because we're losing so many of them. And the thing about Santa Claus, it dawned on me that I was like 30 years old and I never, it had never occurred to me where this Santa Claus thing came from. Who the heck was this guy? Where did he come from? It was just always the guy who just brought you toys, you know. An offshoot, uh, religious people always got upset because, you know, it kind of took away the focus from Jesus and the birth of Jesus and all that. Uh, but where did this Santa Claus come from and why? And I couldn't believe I was 30 years old and I never thought about where that tradition came from. So I started looking into it. And it's absolutely fascinating where some of this beliefs uh, come from. But here's one thing, and it's a woman named Joanna Gillen has written a story about this, The Ancient Origins of Santa Claus. And uh, you may have heard different stories. There's different versions, but this is one that rings kind of true. Uh, begins with St. Nicholas, who lived from 270 to 343 A.D., uh, born in the village of Patara. It was once Greek, but is now part of Turkey. Uh, he was born to wealthy parents who died in an epidemic when Nicholas was young. He used his entire inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. One account of Nicholas says he presented three impoverished daughters with dowries. Now, this is a story I'd always heard, so that they could not have to become prostitutes. Because if you didn't have a dowry, you became a prostitute. On three different occasions, the bags of gold providing the dowries appeared in their home. Uh, 
They had been tossed through an open window and are said to have landed in stockings or shoes left before the fire to dry. If you want to believe that. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting out shoes eagerly awaiting gifts for, you know, from St. Nicholas. I always heard that he went up on the roof and put it down the chimney, which is kind of stupid. If there's a fire going in the winter, it's going to melt the gold. But, you know, what do I know? Nicholas was made Bishop of Myra, which is in Turkey, while still a young man. He became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need and his love for children. And the tradition of gift giving began in honor of St. Nicholas, whose modern name Santa Claus comes from the Dutch word Sinterklaas, S-I-N-T-E-R-K-L-A-A-S. St. Nicholas died December 6th, 343 A.D., and on the eve of his death, children were bestowed gifts in his honor. December 6th is still the main day for gift-giving in many countries in Europe. In the Netherlands, Sinterklaas is said to arrive on a steamboat or horse from Spain. So he's, I guess he lives in Spain, not the North Pole. And on the night of, and by the way, the Dutch used to be under the thumb of the the Spanish. When the Spanish were like big in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, the Netherlands were part of the Spanish Netherlands. They they were under, and they had to revolt to win their uh, freedom from the, the Spanish. So I guess that's why he came from Spain. Uh, let's see. On the night of December 5th, Dutch kids traditionally put their shoes on the hearth uh, or central heating duct, hoping that they're going to f- be filled with sweet rewards rather than a reprimand for any poor behavior during the year. Of course, that's where Krampus comes from, which, by the way, is a really good movie, a good horror movie. Uh, Krampus is the evil guy, the goat figure that comes along with a Santa Claus and takes the bad children away in a sack. Doesn't say what, first he beats them. Hold on a second, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm allergic to beating children in sacks, I guess, with sticks. And Santa Claus in the Netherlands also used to have a helper called Black Pete, who was a Moor or Muslim from North Africa, who had come and also kidnapped the children, because that was a big thing back in, the, in those days, in the early uh, days of Europe, you know, after uh, the birth of Christ and stuff like that, when the Ottoman Empire became huge and, and stretched all the way from the Atlantic all the way you know, to uh, Turkey and beyond. Uh, they were known for raiding the southern coast of France and Spain and Italy and stealing whole families, especially children, and taking them off to be slaves. So Black Pete was something that came out of that. And uh, they don't do that anymore, I don't think. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see some mention of that, but not too often. In other countries, the days of gifts uh, were moved to December 24th and 25th in the course of the Reformation and its opposition to the veneration of saints. But St. Nicholas's concern for children helped him maintain his link to the gift-giving tradition that was moved to Christmas. So where is St. Nicholas now? Well, his tomb in Myra is a popular place of pilgrimage. Because of many wars and attacks in the region, some Christians were concerned that access to the tomb might be difficult. So in the year 1087, most of his bones were moved to a place in Italy called Bari, B-A-R-I, and that's where they are right now. A basilica was constructed the same year to store his remains, and it's a pilgrimage site for the devout, uh, Catholics mainly. An anatomy professor from the University of Bari who cataloged, measured, and photographed the saint's remains in 1957 tried to sketch what Nicholas would have looked like if soft tissue was present on the skull. And that's really Christmassy, isn't it? In 2004, a facial reconstruction anthropologist Uh, attempted to create a likeness of the famous saint by applying the latest computer techniques to the data. And, of course, you can look those up uh, if you want to and see what he looks like. In 2017, Turkish archaeologists claim St. Nicholas' remains are not in Italy, but are located in the church of St. Nicholas in Demre, D-E-M-R-E. They discovered another sarcophagus dating to the 4th century in the church, which they claim contains the saint. Other historians suggest that the whole story of the movement of the saints' bones was just a way to advertise a new pilgrimage center in the 11th century. To date, nothing, that was like the Disneyland and Disney World of the time. Uh, to date, nothing in the shrine of Bari proves that the bones inside belong to the 4th century Bishop Nicholas, according to uh, Lisa Battelle, who is a professor of history and religion at Southern California. So how old is the popular Santa Claus image that we know now? Uh, several of the modern ideas have been attributed to the poem by Clement Clark Moore, A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known today as The Night Before Christmas. It appeared in a Troy, New York Sentinel newspaper on December 23, 1823. 
Many of Senna's modern attributes uh, were established in this poem, such as riding in a sleigh that lands on the roof, entering through the chimney, and having a bag full of toys. St. Nicholas is described as being chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf with a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly, in spite of which the miniature sleigh and tiny reindeer still indicate that he is physically diminutive. Well, that's how he gets down in the chimneys, I guess. The reindeer were also named in this poem, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Dunder, and Blixum. That's Dunder and Blixum. Dunder and Blixum came from the old Dutch words for thunder and lightning, which were later changed to the more German-sounding Donner and Blitzen. Uh, since then, the image of Santa has been popularized through TV, movies, storybooks. Some dislike the idea of gift-giving at Christmas, believing the lavish celebrations are not in line with the faith, or that Santa has become a symbol of materialism. Others believe that it continues to honor the life and deeds of St. Nicholas, an individual beloved and revered as a protector and helper, of those in need and of course it was coca-cola that came up with their ads well the thomas nast came up with drawings in the new york newspapers in the late 1800s i believe early 1900s somewhere around there uh the drawings that we come to look at what santa claus looked about uh with the black and white etchings and wood engravings and then coca-cola with their advertisements which i forget was came along in the 30s 40s 50s somewhere along there made him with the big red suit and stuff like that. There's lots of places around the world where he wears a green suit, which looks cool too. Some of the old Victorian cards that you see that I post all the time, he's in green because it's more of a, a holly. I was watching a, a woman named Lucy Worsley who does, uh, goes around Britain. She's an historian and she does these great things on PBS where he goes in uh, traditions and stuff. It has one now called the 12 Days of Tudor Christmas, what Henry VIII did with... And uh, as we all, well, not everybody knows, the 12 days of Christmas start tomorrow, Christmas Day. And they go to the 6th of January when the, um, the wise men allegedly showed up, or showed up, sorry, <laughs> I do believe that, uh, showed up. And uh, was a little PC there at the second. And, uh, and that's the 12 days of Christmas. And they partied for 12 straight days. In fact, they had a guy named the King of Misrule who basically took some lowly person who won a raffle, and they put him in charge for 12 days. He was as powerful as Henry VIII. Now, he couldn't do something, I think, like kill people and have people put away, but he could do just about everything else. He decided a lot that went on, and they partied. Because for the month before Christmas, uh, they didn't eat any dairy products or meat for Advent, basically. They, uh, they abstained from it. So they went nuts when Christmas Day showed up. Boar's heads and pies, and that's where the mince pie stuff came from. And she's got a great thing, the 12 days of Tudor Christmas, and uh, was talking about what's going on there. And of course, I've just lost my train of thought as to why I even brought it up in the first place. Oh, oh, she was talking about where they didn't have a lot of flowers in the middle of winter in England at the time. So what they do is they go out and get green, holly and um, other green, evergreen and rosemary and plants that were green, and they gar garnish the entire inside of the houses with the greenery, which is one of the reasons Santa Claus was dressed in green. It was a sign of life was going to be coming back in the spring, and the days were going to start getting longer and all that other stuff, So and the sun was going to come back. So And that's where she thinks we got tinsel and other stuff and garlands by wrapping it around the staircases and stuff like that but anyway if you ever get a chance she does some great stuff lucy worsley i believe is her name but anyway uh there's some traditions from around the world i wanted to hit you up with uh a uh apple cider was sailing uh let's see let's drink to that because it's the health of trees a wassail is a hot mold cider i had always heard about wassail my entire life and i thought it was people singing but it turns out it's a hot cider that I just out of just curiosity, I made about 20 years ago. I put a big pot on the stove and I poured wine in it and I cut up oranges and, and I put some cloves in it, which you don't really have to do, but it really gives it a nice Christmassy smell, but it doesn't taste good. And it cut up apples in there and just whatever fruit I had and fruit punch, Gatorade and, and, and wine. And actually, when you put it all together and you cook it, the whole house smells wonderful. And I actually picked up this year. I need to start doing it soon. Um, Trader Joe's has it actually made up already, except the wine. 
and it smells wonderful. It tastes like fruit punch, but it's a little off-putting because of the clove smell, but it tastes like fruit punch. But I'm just going to put it on the stove and heat it up, you know, keep it on a warm heat, and it fills up the entire house, and it smells fantastic. And if you put a little wine in it, you can drink it later if you want to do that as well. But that's what wassail is. Uh, you toast the apple trees to ensure a good harvest the following year. You drink the wassail, and then you sing. And libations, excuse me, libations are poured onto the roots of the trees. So everybody, everybody wins. Then there's Bell's Nickel. He is a fictional old man from Germany. He wears ragged tatters and furs, visits kids before Christmas, has edible treats to give them if they are good, and a switch to frighten them into being good at Christmas. <laughs> Bell's Nickel visits children to this day, but unfortunately, the switch is only cracked to make a loud noise, not to administer a beating, which is why we're in the shape we're in. We need to bring back beatings. Uh, Christmas Eve. Folkloric traditions say it is said to be the best, very best day for cutting evergreens and bringing them into your home. If you cut them earlier, it will surely lead to fights, quarrels. It is whispered that animals gain the power of speech on Christmas Eve, but be warned. It's bad luck to try to listen in on the conversation. For one thing, it's said you'll hear them speaking ill of you, as you always suspected. And some say um, they talk about when you're going to die. In Poland, Christmas Eve is when the angel comes to deliver presents under the tree, waiting until evening when all are seated under the table. By the way, someone put up a great meme showing about all the horrible things going on in the other European countries uh, because of terrorism and all the stupid things they're having to do and, and because of COVID and China virus and all that. And then they showed pictures of Poland, and Poland looks like it did in, in 1999. It looks great. It looks fantastic. It looks beautiful. And uh, <clears throat> I always wanted to go to Poland. Maybe one of these days I'll get into it. I always wanted to go to a Christmas in New England and ride around in a sleigh and be, you know, where there's snow on the ground. And I always wanted to go to a Scandinavian country for Christmas. I thought that would be cool because the way they light it up at night with the white of the snow. Reykjavik in Iceland is supposed to be really pretty. And some of the Scandinavian countries, who are all atheists now but still like Christmas, and light everything up, and it's supposed to be beautiful with the northern lights, and I always wanted to do that too. <clears throat> we'll see if that ever happens. Anyway, what else was I going to say here? Oh, we'll keep. Uh, what else? Uh, Dead Moroz. You ever heard of this? Uh, D E D M O R O Z is a Slavic fictional character like Father Christmas, and it basically translates to Old Man Frost. He is thought to be a pre Christian wizard of winter. And quite possibly the son of the gods Mara and Velus. He wears long robes of pale blue. His head is adorned with a furred hat and a crown with a snowflake motif. And he brings gifts to children on Christmas Eve and delivers them in person. He doesn't farm this out. He doesn't, you know, let UPS show up with him and stuff like that. But uh, there's something else I was going to mention about that thing. About his uh, dead morose, blah, 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 pre-Christian. Oh, I was saying some the other day that they were saying that we always were taught that Christmas trees were pagan. And a lot of people say, no, Martin Luther is the first one to put a candle on the Christmas tree, and that makes it a religious thing. And other people say it's, you know, it's mainly involves with Christianity now. Uh, but there are some who still say it's a pagan thing, but I know some people are pushing back on that at the moment. Uh, evergreen plants are pretty key to all this. The holly, the ivy, the mistletoe, and the pine mistletoe, all brought over the threshold into the house as a symbol of eternity and life in the midst of the cold and darkness. Uh, oh, shoot, there was one more. I keep having these ideas pop in my head, and they, dis they disappear right off because I've read so many stories about some of this stuff. Of course, if you believe in the, the Norse gods, you know what mistletoe is. Mistletoe was used in a very bad thing by Loki. Uh, Frau Perchta, ever heard of her? She's the Christmas witch of Eastern Europe. Yes, there's a Christmas witch. If there can be a Christmas queen for Lucy Van Pelt, there can be a Christmas witch. She's depicted as having goose feet and that goose fat help witches fly. She likes to reward the hardworking and generous with gifts during the 12 days of Christmas, and she likes to punish the idle and the greedy, uh, mainly by ripping out your intestines to replace them with rocks, trash, and straw, which just goes to show you never piss off a, a witch, a Christmas witch at that. Uh, there's Grilla. 
Grela is an Icelandic giantess, lives in the mountains. She has three husbands, 72 children, and the Yule cat. She's an ogress, which is a female ogre, who cooks and eats children who disobey their parents. <laughs> uh, in the 1600s, she became the official mother of the Yule lads. And if you got, it's an Icelandic thing. Check out, they're disgusting. They really are disgusting. The Yule lads. It's, yeah. In fact, I don't look them up, but I'm, some of you will. Then there's the Glastonbury Holy Thorn. is a common hawthorn with a notable difference. Hawthorns, you know, used in a lot of supposedly magical stuff. It flowers twice a year, first in the winter and then in spring. It bears flowers and berries at the same time. Legend has it that when Joseph of Arimathea came to Britain, he visited the spiritual center of Glastonbury, thrust his staff into the ground at Weariall Hill, and it grew overnight into a blossoming thorn tree. The original thorn was cut down during the English Civil War as a superstitious relic, and it's said that one of its thorns blinded the wielder of the axe in one eye. Since the 17th century, a flowering branch of the Glastonbury thorn has traditionally been seen uh, sent to the reigning queen or king to adorn the table at their Christmas feast. I saw uh, just the other day that for the first time, I think, in her life, uh, or since she's been queen, the Queen of England will not be having Christmas at Sandringham which is their traditional thing, I believe, they did. Or, or, or am I thinking of the other one, Balmoral? I think it's Sandringham. One of those. Anyway, she's not going to go this year. It sounds like her health isn't all that great, and they're worried about her being out and catching something right now. So hopefully the queen is okay. Uh, let's see. Holly, uh, a traditional British folk Christmas carol. The holly and the ivy, when they are both full grown, of all the trees that are in the wood, the holly bears the crown. That doesn't really rhyme. But uh, whatever. It's not like the British haven't given us any music over the years. Uh, holly and ivy, two evergreen plants uh, paired in winter. Holly is seen as male. Ivy is female. Uh, a boy wears the holly and a girl is in the ivy. And they parade around the village to usher nature through the dark days and reemerge the next year. The prickly leaves echo Jesus' crown of thorns, and their red berries evoke the blood he shed for humanity's salvation. In Celtic myth, it's said that the holly king rules over the six winter months, and the oak king rules over the six months of summer. Now, some people recently, I've said, they said this is bunk. This is something that's been invented in the last few decades. But then again, all folklore had to start somewhere. In fact, something that's going on right now will be revered in 500 years if we're all still around. Uh, something ancient. There's something called holming or holly beating. It's a extinct Welsh tradition of holming. Uh, hey, Holmes, uh, carried out on the day after Christmas, which is St. Stephen's Day. It was basically you would beat the last person out of bed the next morning with holly springs. Sprigs, sorry. Holming also referred to young men beating the arms or legs of girls with holly until they bled. Now, why would you want to do that to a girl with beautiful legs? Why would you want to beat her legs till they bleed? That's Maybe they don't have a lot of pretty-legged women in Wales. I don't know. What's her, what's her face came from there, didn't she? Uh, Michael Douglas's wife? Yeah. Uh, Hans Trapp. He's a rich—oh, this isn't good at all. His name is Hans Trapp. He's a rich Satanist exiled by the church to a forest. So he ate children who couldn't see through his scarecrow disguise. And the Alsace and Lorraine regions of France, or Germany, depending on <laughs> which side has the biggest military at the time, Hans Trapp is a helper to St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas gives good children gifts, but Hans Trapp roams the countryside dressed as the scarecrow to seek out naughty children and scare them into good behavior or eat them. Uh, winter folklore uh, presents the evergreen ivy as a female counterpart. We said that either, um, a lot of English Christmas carols from the f age 1400 to 1700 feature holly and ivy. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, we already did that. Uh, there's something called Julupuki. is the Finnish Santa. That's the guy's name. J-O-U-L-U-P-U-K-K-I. Julupuki, the Finnish Santa in Finland. It means Christmas buck. He was a horrible figure when he started out. He was on the naughty list. He covered his face with a mask. He wore horns on his head, and he kept his fur-lined coat turned inside out. Uh, he's associated with nudipuki, which are evil spirits who would demand gifts and leftovers from the Yule Feast. That's what I was going to remember earlier, that in Norway, they think 
in Scandinavian countries, they think that Christmas Eve is a night where the evil is abounding. They're everywhere, and they stay. They pretty much stay locked in their houses all night. They put cloth over the window so the evil spirits walking by won't see there's people inside enjoying a warm fire. And basically, in some parts of Norway, they sleep on the floor Christmas Eve and Christmas night because they think the dead come back and sleep in their own beds that night. I had a friend earlier, Scott, who said uh, the old song, you know, telling scary ghost stories, you know, so he goes, did anyone ever do that? I mean, why is that a Christmas thing? Because the Victorians did it on the long winter nights back in the 1800s. They would read Christmas stories, ghost stories to each other. I even have a whole book of them. There's some really creepy Christmas. And of course, that's where uh, and probably what popularized it to begin with was Charles Dickens, you know, Christmas Carol. Because that's a ghost story at Christmas. Several ghosts. I haven't seen it this year. Usually you pop around the TV and you see it every now and then, but I haven't seen it so far this year. Since there's no bowl game tonight, and since my Christmas has been moved back to Tuesday, um, I'll probably be watch. I'll look for that tonight. Maybe watch it. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, now, Julie Pookie in Finland is closer to Father Christmas. He wears red robes. He pulls a sleigh of reindeer. And let's see. And they say he has links to the Norse god Odin. So, okay. Uh, then there's a person named Jolaka Turin is the huge Yule cat who we mentioned earlier lives with Grilla, the Icelandic giantess in her mountain home. He is just awful, as most cats are. A vicious monster. Uh, he will eat anyone that doesn't have new clothes for Christmas. So if, you don't, if you're a kid and you're griping because you got socks, Instead of a Nintendo or Xbox or whatever, don't complain because the Yule Cat is licking its chops waiting for you to go outside. What the hell that is. Anyway, uh, what else we got here? I'm sorry, I'm cussing during the Christmas show. Uh, there's a historical basis to the Yule Cat. Workers who took part in processing the autumn wool before Christmas would receive new clothes in reward. But if you didn't, the big giant cat would eat you. And, of course, there's Krampus, like Hans Trapp. Uh, he hands out presents to German kids at Christmas. He's even better known than Hans Trapp for being wicked. Uh, he looks devilish uh, with horns, cloven hoofs, fangs, a huge lolling tongue like he's Miley Cyrus, or the dark hair covering his whole body. He likes to thrash around and whip a bundle of birch branches to beat children with. And then there's a sack on his back that he carries the ill-behaved children with to either drown, like Rasputin, eat, or carry off to hell. Yep, Santa Claus is hanging around. I can see why some people would think that Santa Claus is, is not a good figure <laughs> with the company he keeps. Uh, you got La Bafana. I've heard of her. La Bafana is another Christmas witch. The Europeans are full of these witches. Uh, she's found in Italy, Russia, and areas of Eastern Europe where she's known as Babushka, which is funny because when I had a Greek girlfriend in California, she called her grandmother Babushka. Babushka. Interesting. Uh, she put nuts in the dressing, the grandmother did. She put nuts in the dressing. I cannot tell you how disgusting that is. Every January, uh, La Bafana will climb on her broomstick and flies to houses to see if she can find the baby Jesus. If she finds a child in the house, she will leave them baked treats and gifts. Her shawl is often covered in soot as she spends so much time flying up and down the chimneys. Uh, the Mari Lid. This may load, Mari Lod, or whatever you pronounce it. It's spelled M-A-R-I-L-W-Y-D. It's Welsh. This, to me, is the most frightening of all of these traditions. The Mari Lid, or whatever you pronounce it, is a skeleton horse, a mare, a Christmas pony zombie. She rises from the dead in winter and roams the streets with her undead entourage, her sole aim being to get into your home. It's acted out by volunteers who parade a horse skull on a pole draped in white cloth around the streets. On New Year's Eve, you must engage her in a rhymed battle of wits to keep her at bay. I'm not kidding. Go on the internet and look at this. They still do it. They march around with a horse's skull on a pole for Christmas. The Welsh. They spend a lot of time underground singing. So, you know, it, it may get to you after a while. I'm part Welsh, I can say that. Davis is a Welsh 
name, Davies, Davis. Uh, mistletoe. Uh, strong links to fertility. That's why you're encouraged to kiss under the mistletoe. If anyone is not kissed under the mistletoe at Christmas, they will sure to stay unmarried for another year. Oh, well, that explains it. Mistletoe is meant to be cut, dried, and kept all year, then burned before the new sprigs are put up to achieve luck in the year abroad. In fact, here's another thing. Tonight at midnight, eat an apple. That's supposed to be good luck. And there's something else I was supposed to do tomorrow. Damn it. Uh, You're supposed to eat an apple at midnight tonight, Christmas Eve. So if you're hearing this tomorrow, oh, you missed it. And you're supposed to do something tomorrow. It's kind of like the black-eyed peas and greens for New Year's, which I've already got set aside, by the way. By the way, if the flame of the mistletoe burns steady when it's set alight, it's viewed as a good omen. Hmm. Uh, in Finland, the name given to the northern lights is Rivantelet, which is like the Arctic fox. Uh, they depict the fox running north and brushing against the mountains with its fur, causing sparks which create the northern lights and fly in the air. In Gaelic folklore, the northern lights are known as the merry dancers or nimble men, depicting glorious fights among celestial warriors in the sky. If you think this isn't used today, if you haven't seen the new Spider-Man, at one point, Doctor Strange, is there's a rift opening up in the sky and, and these beings from other worlds and universes are coming in, that's like directly out of folklore. Uh, so is Thor, by the way. Uh, Old Man Winter is the possibly younger counterpart, uh, or actually the older counterpart to Jack Frost. He's bent over, covered in rags and furs. His beard and hair are long to show his great age. In Russia, he is known as Morozko, old man winter. Pine is the preferred tree for Christmas trees around the world. Their fragrance fills the room with life. Their branches are strong enough to hold all manner of ornaments. They're evergreens, making them a perfect symbol of eternal life and nature. Pine cones represent the continuity of life, which is one reason you'll see pine trees planted in cemeteries. I didn't know that. In terms of Christmas being a Christian celebration, pine trees point to heaven. And in some cultures like Poland, where you might find an upside-down Christmas tree hanging from the ceiling, that's because they have cats. And they're tr- no, I'm just kidding. The shape is said to represent Christ on the cross. I didn't know that either. Uh, speaking of cats, I did have the stereotypical Christmas one year. Me and my girlfriend were uh, tucked in the bed, and we heard this tremendous crash coming from the living room. And we jumped up to see what was the matter. And the damn cats had chased each other up the tree and knocked it down, sending it scattered all over the living room. And that's just a one, reason 5031 I no longer have cats inside. The other one is peeing on the stove, and you don't know they've done it until you turn the stove on to cook something. Uh, let's see. The Queen of Winter uh, is given to Bera, B-E-I-R-A, the winter goddess of Scottish myth. She's known as the Kaliak. Okay, I'm totally mispronouncing that. C-A-I-L-L-E-A-C-H. Kalich, the veiled one. Some versions she's portrayed as a blue, one-eyed hag whose single eye allows her to see the singularity of all things, whatever that means. One Queen of Wintertale has her seeking a hero lover, and if the hero accepts her in hag form, she transforms into a beautiful young woman. This transformation echoes the seas that lie dormant in winter but push through the earth as young shoots in spring. Another version features Bera carrying a magical staff that can free the ground wherever she taps. When she throws the staff under her sacred trees, the holly and the gorse bush, it's a sign that winter has come to an end. Uh, in northern climes, you're often likely to see a robin redbreast in the garden around Christmas time. Uh, let's see, it shows up the fiery and warm uh, breast against the grays, browns, and whites of winter landscape. Here in the south, they're cardinals. Cardinals stay all through the winter, and it's beautiful to see it when it snows to see a red cardinal up in the tree. Uh, anyway, the robin is said to represent the new sun in Irish folklore. The tale has it that he killed his father, the wren, W-R-E-N, who represents the old sun at the winter solstice, which is December 21st, and thus got his red breast from the bloody act. The robin also has a Christian link to winter folklore. Some say a brown robin scorched his feathers when trying to protect the baby Jesus from an overly blazing fire in the manger. And there's one, I wonder, we'll get to that. Let me look ahead here about the wren. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, then there's a thing called Snigorachka. She's the snow maiden and is the daughter of dead Moroz, or granddaughter. Uh, Sneg being the Russian word for snow. She accompanies dead Moroz on his mission to bring presents. 
but there's another darker origin for Snegorochka. Some say she was a statue carved from snow by an old couple who could not have kids. She went to play with the other local children as they jumped over a fire, but when it was Snegorochka's turn to jump, she just melted away. <laughs> like Frosty. Never did like Frosty. In some parts of Russia, there's still a tradition to drown a straw figure in the river or burn it on a bonfire to vanquish winter and help the world transition in the spring. What is it about Russians and drowning things in the river? Uh, let's see. Tomte, T-O-M-T-E, is a gnomish little figure from Sweden. Three feet tall, a white beard, and a red cap. He often helps out the family's farm, protects the kids and animals. He may live there in a quiet corner where well, you will not see him. Then again, he may live among the dead in a nice cozy burial ground, uh, mound and come down to the farm to help out when he's not asleep. The Tomte expects to be treated well in return and has a fierce temper if he doesn't get his due. One should always leave a plate of porridge for him on Christmas Eve and burn a yule log for him in winter. His revenge can take the form of endless tricks or even poisonous bites, which can prove fatal. He's going to bite you like a snake and kill you. Of course, there's all those folklores of people finding frozen uh, uh, snakes and thinking they were walking sticks and bringing them home and putting them by the fire and then when they warmed up and, and defawed the snake would come alive and bite everybody in there uh, there's a there's a thousand stories about that especially in uh, england and other germany and places like that but not ireland thank goodness isn't it cool that you go to a place like ireland and stick your hand under any rock in any creek and not have to worry about something biting you uh, Besides a gnome or something like that, or a leprechaun. Oh, by the way, some people say for the fairies on Christmas Eve, you're supposed to, the, the elves, you're supposed to put a, not, not just the milk and cookies for Santa, but you're supposed to put out a, a little bowl of milk for uh, the Yule cat, you know, the, for the fairies that come around. I did that one year, you know, as a, as a tradition thing. I'll just put out a little thing of milk. And I had the worst luck for the next few days. I, so I haven't done that since. I angered somebody. Uh, it's traditional in Poland to lay an extra space at the table for the unexpected guest on Christmas Eve. Could be a family member or a friend you never expected to show up. Could be someone you don't even know. Hmm. It's certainly in the gambling spirit of opening the door to anybody. Uh, much of winter folklore is dedicated to endurance and fertility. Uh, that, you know, cold winter nights, you know. However, winter is the harshest season of, in a lot of places. That means that much folklore related to winter involves battle and challenges. Uh, let's see, da, 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 Christmas monsters and other that. Now we get to Wren Day. Uh, Wren Day is celebrated in Ireland and other places December 26th or St. Stephen's Day. The Wren, of course, assembled the old sun in the old year. So what they do, they, they used to kill a Wren or find a dead Wren. Your job, go find a dead Wren. And you know they just went out and killed one. And then they would hunt it down and parade it through the town and knock on people's doors. And you were supposed to let them in with this dead bird and give them things. What did they do? Set the dead wren on the table while you ate or something like that? And then if you didn't do that, they would probably throw the dead wren into your house anyway. Uh, but anyway, they walk around, they parade through the town and masks and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the wild hunt. There's an old Norwegian belief that the dead walk among the living during Yule. Uh, let's see, uh, the wild hunt taps into this. Uh, name given to gods uh, who lead their celestial comrades in a hunt across the sky. Most commonly associated with Norse mythology and the wild hunts led by Odin with his eight-legged horse Sleipner. They can occur at any time. Some people say it's a very bad omen to see the wild hunt, especially on winter nights between Yule and Twelfth Night. Ancestors are honored and food is left out for them. Farmers may also leave harvested grain in the fields for the hunters' horses. Of course, that's in the Old Testament. You're supposed to leave stuff that falls on the ground. You're supposed to leave it for the poor. Grapes, olives, whatever, wheat that, uh, that falls down when you're carrying it, you should leave it for the poor and the birds and everything. Uh, in Germanic folklore, the leader of the wild hunt shouts, Midden in dem weg. Middle of the road, if they see you in their path. If you hear this, you better lie down in the middle of the path immediately. This will save you from the worst of the trampling, though you may still feel the cold feet of the hunting dogs along your spine. If you're very unlucky, you will be swept up in the wild hunt. And who knows if you ever come back from that. Uh, the winter solstice, midwinter, the day filled with the least daylight and the longest night of the year. Following the night of the winter solstice, the sun grows stronger in the sky. 
It's a key turning point in rebirth. And uh, the Scandinavian Christian winter solstice on St. Lucia's Day stemmed from the earlier Norse solstice customs of lighting fires to ward off spirits for the longest nights. In St. Lucia's Day, you walk around with lights. Uh, also, and finally, the Yule Log. Uh, the first reference to a Yule log was recorded in the 12th century. For the most of my life, I had no idea why we said the word Yule or Yule log. And then I looked it up, and it's fascinating. It's been going on far longer than we thought. The Yule log was a giant log, often an entire tree, that was drugged into the household in midwinter by someone with clean hands. The largest end would be placed in the hearth and lit from what was left of last year's log. You had to take an ember of what little wood you had left from last year's Yule log to light this one, or you'd have bad luck. As good luck to have some of that remain over the winter, it would be stored. It wards off lightning, mildew, or house fires if you do that. Uh, originated in Germanic and Nordic countries, like most of these uh, traditions are. Uh, it has since spread throughout Europe with regional variations on folkloric customs. Of course, now we have Black Santa, Hispanic Santa, we have Asian Santas. In uh, Japan, which isn't a Christian country, uh, but they celebrate Christmas. They love Christmas. It's you, the lights and the ice shows and stuff like that. I mean, Santa Claus is universal now. I always thought it was weird that poor Australia and some in the Southern Hemisphere... South Africa and New Zealand had to do it when it was 95 degrees or something like that. How weird is it to celebrate Christmas? Although, one of my favorite Christmas memories, 1985, I was living in San Diego, and uh, me and a girlfriend at the time, that same, same girl who had the grandmother who put nuts in the dressing. Other than that, she was a nice woman. And we were out there, and we were like, what do you call it when you, you live overseas and you're... I forget, there's a word for it where you're overseas and you can't come home for some reason. All of us, were we were dirt poor. We worked at a damn record store. We didn't uh, have any money to come home. And so basically, when we had a guy, we worked at the video record store with a guy from New Jersey and some guy from L.A. And there was a, a lady from Oklahoma and there was a person from Michigan and they couldn't go home. We we're all young and dumb and poor. So me and my girlfriend at the time cooked a big Christmas dinner and had everybody over to our apartment, which was in Pacific Beach, overlooking the ocean down the street. And they had a swimming pool, and everybody just came over, and I had this model train set set up around the and, – and everybody just came over and got basically drunk and ate. And it was just the nicest Christmas of people coming in and out because the door was open because it was nine. It was literally it was over 90 degrees, which is rare in San Diego to get over 90 degrees. It was hot and steaming. And we went down, lay by the pool. And I remember calling back to my friend here. And it was the Christmas of 85 must have been a huge cold snap all up and down the eastern coast because my friend uh, Jeff was basically sitting at home crying. And I'm going, what's, what's the matter? He goes, because he had gotten this really great bottle of whiskey. And he got out of his car when he got home with it. And he slipped on the ice, and he fell, and it broke, and it shattered. And he was literally crying over it when I was called. I called him. And he goes, what are you doing? I'm, just, I'm sitting by the pool talking to you. And he was like, blank, you blank, blank, blankety blank. And he hung up. But I remember calling home. And, God, they were, it was like a, it wasn't a blizzard, but it was an ice storm or something going on here in Christmas of 85. And we're sitting around a pool in San Diego. But it was the, the smiles on the people's faces of all those 20-somethings that couldn't go home and just sitting around eating good Christmas meals like they had at home and dressing and, you know, the, the orange cranberry salad I do. And, the, and it was just so cool to sit around listening to music. And it was one of my better Christmas memories. But anyway... That's kind of like that, uh, uh, the whole thing of letting people in, uh, the Christmas guest and stuff like that. Uh, let's see, also with the Yule log in Provence in France, the log will be carried around the house three times by the grandfather family before he falls over dead, uh, then blessed with wine before being burned. In Burgundy, also in France, gifts would be stored beneath the log, hopefully not in the fire. In Yorkshire, in England, the candles for Christmas dinner would be lit from the Yule log by the youngest person in the house, therefore ensuring that you've created a young arsonist. Because think, think of the attention he's, he or she's getting by doing that. And kids love attention. Well, what if I light this? I wonder how much attention I get if I light the curtains on fire this time. That's a really stupid tradition. Sorry, I don't mean to crap on your tradition, uh, Yorkshireman. Uh, but your pudding is okay, I guess. 
uh, it's considered unlikely to have to relight a Yule log once it has been first set alight. But if half the tree is sitting out in the living room, at some point it's going to burn out. I guess they pushed it as it burnt. They would push it into, I guess someone had to be in charge of pushing the rest of the tree into the fire. Remember, this is a time you had walk-in fireplaces because they cooked in there too and it was supposed to heat the whole house. So these fireplaces were huge. You know, the old drawing room things of Downton Abbey and stuff like that where you could literally walk into the fireplace. It was that big. All right, that's enough of that strange stuff. Let's go. I'm going to take a little sip here. Here's some jokes. Christmas jokes you can use to anger everybody when you're all you're drunk and you won't shut up with these dad jokes. I was going to do them on the Kimmer Show the other day, and I forgot about them. So here's some dad jokes to spread around uh, the next couple days. What did the gingerbread man say to the clan? No, I've already cut. What did the gingerbread man wear to the clan rally? A cookie sheet. Okay, let me get the... Get the yeah. Uh, why did Santa's helper feel sad? He had low elf esteem. Okay. Uh, what is Santa's favorite state? Idaho. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, uh, why is the alphabet in the North Pole different than the normal alphabet? Well, the North Pole's alphabet has no L. Get it? No, no L? No L. Uh, how is Christmas exactly like your job? You do all the work, and some fat guy in a suit gets all the credit. What kind of motorbike does Santa ride? A Holly Davidson. Kimber would have liked that one. And finally, the last one. In these days of high prices, what is the cheapest meat? Deer balls, because they're under a buck. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed the Christmas show. <laughs> if you're still here after the beginning and the middle and the end of this. Anyway, uh, everybody have a Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, if you're a pagan, then Happy Yule. If uh, you're Jewish, I hope you had a wonderful Hanukkah. If you're Muslim, it's uh, Eid something, I for E-I-D something, I forget when that's happened there's kwanzaa whatever you celebrate have a good time be nice to people and uh, i will try and be nice as well if i see you somewhere and thank you to everybody who's helped support this show and the Kimmer show and everything throughout the year really really do appreciate it merry christmas to all of you happy holidays and by the way the word holiday comes from the words holy day so if someone's going around thinking they're being cool by not saying christmas and just holiday don't remind them what they're doing Anyway, uh, that's, that was a nice way to end it. I should end this on a nice thing. Merry Christmas, everybody. Drink up Shriners, drink up Elves, and uh, have a good time.